Welcome to Ag Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, and Canadian Poultry Magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture. Bayer Crop Science is a proud supporter of influential women in Canadian agriculture. As a member of Canada's agricultural community, we recognize the hard work and contributions made by women to this important industry and support the sharing of their voices, stories, challenges, and achievements as a way to recognize everything they bring to the table each and every day. Hello, everyone. I'm joined today by Simone de Mer Collins from Edmonton, Alberta. Simone, I would love to jump right into this. Can you tell us about your current role as well as your background in agriculture and how you got started? Well, currently I'm a member of the Edmonton Food Council as well as the University Alumni Association. Um, Up to, you know, COVID, I was a food tour guide uh, with Alberta Food Tours. And, but this has been put on hold because of the restaurants and we're waiting for them to reopen. Uh, as well as waiting for people to feel comfortable in dining in and for tourism to come back. So um, those are are the things that I have been involved in. And as far as I'm concerned, food tours was a natural for me um, because I've been really fortunate to have participated in the International Cook It Raw culinary program. Alberta hosted uh, Michelin star world chefs to come to Alberta to work with local chefs at and to develop recipes, to develop dishes, and to recognize foods that were unique to the province. And so when we do Alberta food tours, we focus on Alberta foods. And because I had participated in this particular event, it was just a natural. I mean, I could talk about how the, the chefs got to the point of making the decisions, how they decided which foods were naturally part of the Alberta landscape, and how restaurants who were supporting local could incorporate those ingredients in in the dishes that they were serving the patrons. So um, that became a real natural for me. And it was just so particularly exciting to be able to talk about, um, to talk about the, the process and to talk about Cook It Raw as a system, because I just felt we were so fortunate in being able to meet those individuals and to have that particular opportunity. Um, This, like many other things, is a way for me to bridge or connect my experience with the community needs of any given day. Um, That's that's what I think my my strength is in, in, um, in agriculture and in food. And um, it's also the opportunity that I have when I, I talk about, you know, the Edmonton Food Council or I also talk about the, um, the work that I do with the Alumni Association at the university. Yesterday, for example, I participated in a, a lunchtime webinar on a program called Veg Instead. Um, it's kind of a modern version of the Victory Gardens that were done during the war, but as a way of pe- reconnecting people to their land and reconnecting people to perhaps growing vegetables and an awareness of agriculture. And so with Veg Instead, we had to um, 
really start talking to people that they could use the land on which they had their residence as a place of growing. Um, people felt that if they use their front lawns instead of their back uh, lanes or their, their backyards um, to grow food, that their neighbors might object, that the city might object. And so uh, we started there with that particular conversation. But it also allowed me to talk to people about um, just some of the science and, and the misinformation that exists out there. Um, we had questions yesterday on uh, GMO seeds. And so I had to go back and, and say, well, I'm sorry, we don't have GMO seeds that are available to consumers. Um, these are the ones that have been approved in, in Canada. And, and they said, oh, we didn't, you know, we didn't know that. So my background in agriculture, you know, comes out in, in many, many different ways. And so the ability to talk about GMOs, to talk about glyphosate, to talk about noxious weeds or invasive plants, those are all items that um, may be new to urban consumers and can definitely be part of the role that I play uh, with the Edmonton Food Council and, and the Veg Instead program. That sounds so exciting and um, so multifaceted, like you have so much going on. So what do you like best about your role? You know, I think what I really like is the flexibility, the options, um, the the ability to see uh, an, a whole and um, and to tie ideas back to agriculture. Um, rightly or wrongly, I feel I've been blessed with a creative streak that allows me to see the connections between subjects and ideas and people. Um, I can oftentimes see a project as a whole, but I can also be really anal about the minutiae that often define the difference between a good and a great project. And um, there have been examples of that. For example, when uh, I worked on the uh, display with the Ag and Food Museum in Ottawa, um, I mean, this all started with a tour of the, the museum. And as I'm um, listening to people giving this particular tour, I'm going, you know, there's not an awful lot of information on Western Canadian agriculture uh, within the displays and within what is going on here. And so we started the discussion. And of course, we started with canola because they don't grow a lot of canola in Ontario. And so they didn't have the information. And the more that we got into the discussion, the more that we started realizing that, you know, the education that could be done with canola and the breadth of items that could be made with canola meal and canola oil it was a story that needed to be told and the minute that we introduced the concept of canola as being the only made in canada crop it became really important for us to get this project done in time for the 150th anniversary of canada and the 50th anniversary of the Canola Council of Canada. And so it's a matter of just putting all of the ideas together and then working really quickly because we didn't have a, a huge amount of time, but it was an ideal project for an ideal time. And so uh, sometimes I get myself in trouble because I think, oh, we, we should be able to do this. Um, 
and we should. And most cases we do, but um, time, money, energy um, may be stretched a little bit in getting some of these things done. Well, that's uh, that's great because it leads me to my next biggest, uh, my next question, and I'm so excited to know uh, what is the biggest risk you've taken. Oh well, a couple of things. Uh, the first one was I started my career working in government um, as an extension worker uh, within Alberta Agriculture, and um, very soon into my career. Um, I had the opportunity of becoming uh, a manager. And I realized that that's not where my heart was at. So I had to say no, despite the fact that it meant that I, you know, my salary would not be at, at a managerial level. But I, I, had, to, I had to go with the, the programs and the work that was more creative, in my opinion, and that allowed me the flexibility to, to work on projects as opposed to uh, working projects through the staff that I was supervising. So that was the first thing. And then the second one was becoming a consultant. Um, I left the position with the government to become a consultant. And that was huge risk because you give up all the benefits and you give up all the paid holidays and everything that goes with, with the position. But what it did is it, it gave me the opportunity to hustle in a sense, as I, I would you know, call what I in part was doing, trying to do all of these different contracts to kind of cobble together um, a salary or an income um, that was similar to what I had left behind. And in so doing, I had the opportunity to work for most of the agricultural commodity groups in the province. And so I got to know the groups and I needed to get to know them to be able to work for them. So then when I had the opportunity to, to represent them or to talk about agriculture in Alberta, I could do so with, with more experience and more knowledge than if I had simply stayed in one position. So yes, there were risks and those were two very big ones. Um, but in the long run, I think that they brought me the type of career and the type of experiences that have really been beneficial. Yeah, that's, that, that sounds amazing. Um, so throughout your career, can you uh, share with us any um, a particular challenge that you might have faced and uh, what you've learned from it or how you've grown from it? Well, I guess what I'd like to do is share probably three separate examples that are very, very different. Great. When I started working in government, um, we were called extension people or extension workers, which means that we had to extend ourselves to get to know our communities and get to know what the needs of the individuals or consumers within that community were. And I started my career in an area of the province that had a huge turnover of staff. And people came and they went very quickly because it was a very huge area. And I rented a, an apartment, a basement apartment suite close to the office that had no uh, laundry facilities. And so on Monday nights, I would find myself at the laundry mat. 
and like many other individuals and started having conversations with people. And what I started noticing was that we were having more people coming to the laundromat on Mondays. Um, or people would say, um, we're, you know, like, I'll see you next week. And I'd say, no, I'm sorry, next week, I'm busy, I'll be here on Tuesday afternoon. And they would start coming to the laundromat on Tuesday afternoons with their questions, their home ec questions that they, they had for the district home economist. And so I would sit and I would answer questions. And, I, and, and it was everything, like, do you have a recipe for this? How do you do horseradish, you know, from, from horseradish root, uh, do, you know, stain removal, whatever it was. But after a while, I was working more at the laundromat than I was on the telephone in my office. But it was a real example of listening and being where the people were and meeting the needs of the time. And so all of a sudden I started developing a reputation and people then started calling the office a bit more and, and not necessarily wanting to, to meet me at the laundromat. But it was that whole idea of listening to people and listening to where they, where they were comfortable and, um, and working from that particular perspective. That served me well a few years later when I was uh, an event coordinator with the Alberta Horticultural Congress. And we had snow in August. Oh my goodness. And so snow in August in Alberta is rare, but it happens. And so anything that wasn't below ground froze. And you're talking market gardeners, you're talking, you know, people who are growing fruits, vegetables, flowers to be sold at local markets, uh, to be sold at farm gate, who had people who had nothing left to sell other than their root vegetables. And as the coordinator of, of the Congress, I said to uh, my board, you know, what are we going to do? And so we decided that if people chose to come to Congress that year, it was going to be the best Congress and the best three-day holiday that they could possibly have. And that's the atmosphere we tried to create. Um, and we, we insisted um, that the conference freeze not be increased. Uh, we had companies come on board, like the large processors, like Holes Greenhouses or Coolmans or Red Hat in the province of Alberta, donated huge amounts of vegetables. And the chefs doubled the amount of food that was available for people to have. We had a couple of beers donated for every delegate so that they could come to the opening reception, enjoy a beer, and it wasn't going to cost them any more. And the whole idea was to make people uh, ensure that they would have a really good time. Um, once again, starting off where people were at, hurting financially, you know, not having the options that they have. Um, but I will say that thanks to an incredible board who worked really hard, that was probably one of the best conferences that we ever had. And we had close to 800 people register. 
And many of them did not stay in the hotel because they couldn't afford it, but they drove in every day, came to sessions, ate the food, had a couple of beers. And like I said, that was probably their only holiday that they had that year, but it was, it was just, um, it, it was an incredibly powerful experience to, to experience it. Amazing. So that once again, going back to let's start where people are at, let's listen, and let's try to be of service. And then one final example I'd like to share is the year that once again, we hardly I was working for canola at that time as a consultant. And we hardly had any crop that year. And the board of directors met in November. And at the end of the meeting, they approached me and said, um, we will provide you with your consulting fee and enough money to do one ag education event. What do you think you can do with that? And I thought, oh, okay. What can I accomplish um, with my salary? So I started looking around and who had money. We applied for national funds. Um, and I started working with the Canola Council of Canada doing marketing in the United States because there was money to go do marketing in the US. Um, that's when we started the idea of the children's uh, graphic novels because there was money for ag education. And any organization that Canola had a connection with, if they needed a secretary or a treasurer, um, that was the role that I started taking so that I would have an active role and we would be well represented and people felt that the organization and the canola farmers were contributing significantly to what was uh, happening in the province. And I will say that by the end of that year, I was probably busier than if I'd had a full budget and, and could have contributed to a lot of programs. For me, all of those things go back to being an extension worker um, and to listening to people. And so while they were all challenges in their own right, uh, they were also uh, challenges that could be overcome. And um, it, it, they're, they're incredible memories in my career. Um, of things that can be accomplished when people start working together or start looking at what is really needed. This episode of Ag Annex Talks is sponsored by the Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub. The Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub works across the country through 10 regional hubs to share research on and resources for women entrepreneurs in Canada. Drawing on the expertise of a network that includes over 250 organizations, WEC hosts and supports programming that highlights opportunities and best practices for women entrepreneurs in the organizations that support them. Find out more at wekh.ca and look for WEC on social at wekh underscore pcfe. Now, I was going to ask about uh, other big accomplishments, but because you mentioned the children's graphic novels, I would love if you could tell me a little bit more about the development of those and, uh, you know, how they started and uh, how those have developed over the years. 
Well, those started initially because um, a friend of mine indicated that uh, graphic novels were really popular with elementary school students. And so we thought, if we are going to tell the story of canola, what better way than to do it through a graphic novel? And so initially we got funding to do one book and that was the history of, of the canola story in Canada. I hired a writer, I hired an illustrator. Um, we flew into Saskatchewan and went through the archives of the museum in small town Saskatchewan where canola you know, uh, came to be. And we tried to come up with a story that was really relevant and that was interesting for students. Um, had the story written, we workshopped it with some students that were eight, nine years old. They told us the kinds of things they liked, they didn't like. Um, and then we proceeded to, to do the first book. And with the success of that first graphic novel, uh, the board of directors, as well as some of the funding agencies said, do you think you could do more? And that started the ball rolling because I thought, yes, we can do more. And so when we finally um, kind of closed the door to that chapter, we had 16 books written and eight of them translated in French. Wow. But it allowed us to do very interesting things because we did one on soil. So what was in soil? Um, and so there's, and then we did one on uh, water and we did one on climate change and biotechnology. And many of the, um, the subjects that could apply to anybody related to agriculture. You know, if you were in crop agriculture, uh, the soil will be the same, whether you're growing canola, peas, corn, you know, or lentils. And if you're needing water um, to grow a crop, it doesn't matter which crop, whether it's vegetables or flowers or fruits, or, you know, like one of the grains, you're going to need water. So those were really important books. Um, and then we expanded the whole, the entire concept of the books uh, by, looking at curriculum within the province. What was it that the, would allow the teachers to use the books uh, and that would allow them to be part of the curriculum? And so we started using some of the words that were part of the curriculum, some of the theories that were part of curriculum. And then as a long shot, we, we looked at, at the English curriculum. And so every single book that we did was a different English format. We had one that was a retelling of a fable. We had one that was like based on uh, haikus. Uh, we had one that was a fantasy uh, so that English teachers could also use the books, but at the same time talk about agriculture and teach about soil and teach about climate and teach about urbanization and what it was doing to the agricultural community. <clears throat> so it was an evolution. We started with one idea. And then once we got involved and committed, 
um, the ideas just kept coming and we just kept building on, on those ideas and on what we could provide the teachers and the students who, who you know, would it be enjoying the books in the long run. That sounds like such an amazing accomplishment. Uh, just that's so cool to me. So um, what's the best piece of advice you've received throughout your career? And, um, you know, maybe something that you would pass along to anyone else who is thinking of pursuing a career in agriculture? I would, su I would suggest to anyone to find mentors, um, to find people you can trust and who will be honest with you. Uh, mentors in a career, I think, are essential to helping you define what it is that you like about your career, what it is that you really like to do, and the direction in which you uh, would like to take that particular career. When I started, I had very good mentors, um, but they were men because most of the, the people working in agriculture were men. And they, they were absolutely wonderful in guiding uh, my career when it came to management duties, supervisory duties, but there were not a lot of women in agriculture at that time. And so the discussions that we had never centered on uh, work-life balance, on family life balance, on family work balance, on the value of perhaps getting a doctorate in some agricultural topic or some relevant topic. Those are the kinds of discussions that I think could have happened with much more so with a female um, mentor who might've understood the juggle of career, family, community, activist, um, just overall female doer. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that's probably the one thing that I lacked at different times in my career. Although there've been incredible people who've supported and who have provided me with information, but a constant um, mentor would have been the one thing that I think would have just allowed me to, to blossom even more. So if you could go back to the beginning of your career and maybe mentor yourself a little, um, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, I probably would have I'm not sure what I would have done differently. Um, because even when I was supervising a lot of university students, um, and whether that was through a practicum or through summer work or th uh, through a mentorship with the dietetics program, I um, always said to people, say yes. I'm a firm believer that when opportunities are provided um, the only way that you can grow and that you can keep evolving and supporting and managing uh, an expanding career is by saying yes to 
uh, a variety of options that are presented to you. It does not necessarily mean saying yes to everything because there will be some things that will simply uh, use up your energy without giving you anything in return. But in many cases, we will not say yes because we think ah, that may take, I may have to work a few extra hours or I may have to do a, a little bit extra here or there. And I think that that little extra, that ability to say yes is often what will provide you with the smiles, with the happiness, with the, the, the contentment at the end of the day that says, yeah, I do like my job and I do like what I'm doing. And, um, and I'm glad that this is the career that I'm in. That's all so great because my next question is, what, what keeps you after all these years, what keeps you excited about agriculture? Well, agriculture is, is here to stay. I mean, it's, we're not going to stop eating. <laughs> and um, we're certainly not going to uh, stop learning new uh, crops to grow and meeting the challenges that agriculture has to face. Um, and so anytime that I look at uh, what's coming as far as new products, what's coming as far as uh, new options, to me, that's, that's exciting. And, and that's the kind of information I like to share. That's the kind of information I like to, to be a part of. And it, it's, it's, what I, it's what I live for. Um, a simple example, I'm growing Mexican gherkins this year in my backyard because I think that they are fun, they are tasty, and I'm really hoping that I can grow enough of them that we can enjoy them over the winter. And so two months ago, I didn't know Mexican gherkins could grow in Alberta. But now I'm trying them. So that's part of, of the, the story. And that's part of, of the enthusiasm as well. That's so cool. So um, for my last question, uh, we're going to look ahead. And I wanted to ask you how you see the ag industry uh, changing in the next <coughs> five to 10 years and even what you'd like to see more of. Oh, <clears throat> well. I think if there's one thing we've realized in the last year is how um, rural internet in part of can in parts of Canada is so poor, and you know it's often been referred to as bismal, and I have to agree with that. Um, you know, sometimes we forget when we have. Um, real services and we have internet that works, you know, 24 seven, what it can be like not to have um, that kind of opportunity. I think we need to, we need to get that rectified in some way so that even if it's homeschooling or it's community organizations having annual meetings on Zoom so that people don't necessarily have to travel their 15, 20 miles to support an organization that they believe in. 
those things have to come to rural communities sooner rather than later. So that's that's um, that's my my soapbox because I really feel like we cannot continue uh, and be successful in agriculture if that is not a reality. Um, so that's one of the, the the challenges I think that um, that we have met or that we need to meet. Um, but I think the other one is that as the pendulum swings, and I have been part of several swings of that pendulum, I think farmers and and growers and agriculture has done really well with the pandemic. The, the whole, you know, local movement has really been uh, quite successful and local processors, local chefs who turn their restaurants into, you know, huge takeout opportunities um, have done okay. Local, unless it changes, is not going to... Um, be as successful once we get past the, we get to the end of the pandemic or we get past that because people are going to want something different and unless we learn how to grow some of the crops that the immigrant uh, population was used to in their countries some of it we will not be able to do but we have learned for example that we can do black beans in Edmonton um, and it wasn't until somebody said, well, let me try if I can grow black beans, that we really learned how to do that. New products to meet the, the needs and the, the appetite for, for new, for different, for variety, uh, will, all, will also meet the need for consumer interest. And it might meet some of the challenges, you know, related to climate change. Many, many challenges ahead. Um, but I think that uh, the rural community has proven that it, it is up to these challenges. And we in agriculture can only uh, be the cheerleaders to ensuring that, that some of those changes come about and that we can talk about them in a way that um, is positive and that allows us to continue to, to learn and to teach um, in everything that we do. That's, that's a great note to end on. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Simon. Thanks for tuning in to Egg Annex Talks, the podcast hosted by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Egg Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts or visit eggannex.com to catch up on all of our other episodes.